Well, welcome to the Comfort Time Podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay. I'm joined by Eric Stearns. Today we're digging into what is, I've heard called uh, very recently that I'm going to be using from here on out is Palm to Passion Sunday. Uh, because we started off very big and celebratory on Palm Sunday with waving our branches and shouting our hosannas. But we ended up talking a lot about suffering and having a hard conversation, I feel, about what it means that we go through suffering in our lives, what it means that Jesus goes through suffering in his life, and what is that meant to teach us? So let's get into it. Sounds good. Once again, I thought you, I thought you tied it together. At, like, to, you took all of your ideas throughout the whole sermon and really tied it together at the end very nicely. This sermon was a little bit of a slog to get written. Really? Uh, it, was, it was a challenging sermon, mainly because of the topic. Um, there are so many theological landmines you can step on when you're talking about the problem of suffering and the problem mm-hmm. of evil. Um, you know, you can... I had an experience in Brookings where I gave a prayer one day, and I, to this day, do not remember what I said, but what a parishioner heard was that God causes evil. And that is not what I believe as a Christian, what I believe as a pastor and slash, you know, if I can call myself a theologian, um, that's not what we believe as a denomination. God works in the midst of problems. God works in the midst of our suffering, but God does not cause them. Our evil is not God-ordained. Mm-hmm. That puts God in a really weird position. The question that we asked, how can we believe in an all-good, all-loving, all-present God when all this bad stuff happens? Right. And the answer that God causes that is not congruous with who we know God to be. Right. God works in the midst of it, but you know, trying to convey that with that experience in the back of my head the entire time was a real challenge. And mm-hmm. so this sermon, I wrote it Friday night, and now uh, it's not normal for me, but it was fine. Just trying to avoid theological landmines, trying to preach in a way that's consistent with my beliefs is, you know, important. Mm-hmm. And so trying to strike that perfect balance between not giving a pat or blasé or flippant answer but also not, you know, misrepresenting myself. And so this took a lot of a lot of thought energy to make sure to strike the right theological tone. Mm-hmm. And I like how you said it, you know, it's foundational for atheism. Yes. Because yep. how is God omnipotent, omniscient, and mm-hmm. omnipresent when all these bad things are happening? Yes. And everyone struggles with that. I struggle with that. Absolutely. So in black and white, what should our answer be when someone asks us that question? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that's where we talk about the fact that God does not cause that to happen, but it's amazing to see what God can do in the midst of it. Mm -hmm. Whenever I'm asked that question, I hearken back to Genesis, um, to the end of the book of Genesis, to the story of Joseph. Um, His brothers, you know, threw him in a pit, tried to kill him, killed a goat, spread blood on his coat, sold him to some Ishmaelites, ended up in Egypt. Like, all this bad stuff kept happening to Joseph when he was the one constantly having dreams of, you know, maybe delusions of grandeur, but the dreams came to pass, so no. Um, But yet, at the end of the story, when he restores his relationship with his brothers and his father, he says to his brothers, what you intended for evil God used for good. Mm -hmm. And that is ultimately my bedrock answer of, yes, bad stuff happens. There is injustice. 
We live in a fallen and broken world with a result of sin, and so sometimes things that are not fair are going to take place. But watch what God does in the midst of it. I am from Gregory, and one of the things about being from Gregory in, in, in the years that I was in high school is that when we were in high school and years and then a couple of years after high school, um, we watched the suicide of four of our friends. Um, mm. You know, it could have been so easy to just blame God in the midst of that. It could have been so easy for us to just say, well, they're all gone. This was evil. This was bad. This sucked. God did this and just completely abandon our faith um, because what happened wasn't right. What happened wasn't okay. But what came out of it was this group of like 12 to 20 of us that were just so solidified in our faith. Like we met for weekly Bible study. We met for daily prayer and devotion. Like we knew that God did not cause these things to happen and that something good was going to come out of it. One of the, one of the young men that I have in mind, his parents would just call kids and invite them down to the river to hang out on the boat and grill whatever and hang out drink sodas and just hang out on the beach of, of this you know and that wouldn't i mean unfortunately that would not have happened if thomas hadn't died i mean and that meant so much to so many of us mm-hmm. it was just a place where we felt unconditionally like we belonged and so the ability to have that is something good that came from that. Like, I am friends with these people to this very day, and that might not have happened. And again, God doesn't cause that, but that wouldn't have happened had Thomas not made the decisions that Thomas made. And I just think that when we're faced with these situations, we have to, we have to look for the good. Because what people intend for evil, what society, what, you know, what Satan intends for evil, God works good in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. I liked how I like how you closed with Sunday is coming. I thought mm-hmm. that has stuck with me and it will continue to stick with me. Mm-hmm. Like when you're going through hard times, yep. the day is coming when it's going to be better. Yes. Whether it's here on earth or whether it's somewhere else. Right. The day is coming when it's going to be better. Yep. There's just no more hope than that. I mean, that it just mm-hmm. that just meant a lot to me. And it's not like I'm really struggling with anything at this point, but sure, at but this point in my life, but there's going to come a day. That's the thing. Even if you aren't right now, the unfortunate part of life is that someday you will be. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, it, it is inevitable. Right. You know, we're going to get a phone call that something completely unexpected happened and it's just you know you you find yourself there and we can either allow ourselves to be shaken and stirred and fried or we can allow ourselves to stand firm in our faith mm-hmm. because sunday is coming yeah you know there may I mean, like you said there may not be a relief for something on this side of heaven but we know that there's a better place that there's a bigger hope that we are that we are to cling on to right. as as people of faith mm-hmm. so what else did you cut um, yeah, so I talked a little bit on Sunday about um, the quote from the commentary that the dressing Jesus up in these royal accoutrements uh, was not necessarily about causing him physical pain, but more about making a mockery of who he was, making that emotional, spiritual pain as much a part of the experience as the actual beating. 
Mm-hmm. Like that's different. Like I talked on Sunday, every crucifixion starts with a beating. Mm-hmm. But then the Romans added a little element to it because of just what had happened and the charges that were against Jesus. And so it was the crown of thorns and the, the scepter of, of, of reeds and then the royal robe. What I left out is that there is some scholarship that suggests that it's not the crown of thorns was not intended to inflict physical pain. Hmm. It was intended to echo uh, the way that the crown of the emperor looked. The thorns would not have been pointing into Jesus' head and piercing his head. The thorns would have been pointing out to be reminiscent of the emperor's crown. They're making a high mockery of every royal thing that they can because Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews. Mm. So he gives, he gets a crown of thorns, not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns that looks kind of like the crown of gold. He gets a scepter. That's a part of looking like a king. You get a scepter, but his is made out of reeds. And then you get the robe. And like the robe was nice, but also destroyed because he had been beaten by that point mm-hmm. a couple of times. Um, and so the, the suggestion is that this was designed, every step of it was designed to cause Jesus as much physical pain, as much spiritual pain, as much emotional pain as they possibly could have inflicted before taking him to the cross. I'm sure the thorns hurt. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that the thorns did some damage, but that was not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal was to increase their mockery of who Jesus said he was and who Jesus actually is. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. I hadn't really either until I read it. I read it in enough commentaries to know that there's some validity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not just one commentary, one person going out on a theological branch by themselves. It is in the larger scholarship that this was not necessarily a physical act as it was um, meant to be a sign. Sure. I like that. I mean, that's really interesting. That. Mm-hmm. It's not anything you've ever, I've ever heard. Yeah, me you neither. Know, I mean, I have preached sermons on, you know, the fact that they put this crown of thorns on his head and they made sure that it was on there and they made sure that it hurt. I don't regret those statements, but there's a bigger truth to it mm-hmm. that was unlocked for me. Well, the Passion of the Christ probably did a little bit of that to you. That's absolutely you know right. I mean? Yes. Mel Gibson yep. makes that thing look like it hurts oh, real bad. Oh, man, alive. <laughs> yes, he does. Like, um, for reasons that pass understanding, I watched that movie for the very first time at a drive-in movie theater. Mm. Um, I don't know why the drive-in thought that was going to be a really good movie for a drive-in movie theater. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of, like, you can't really eat popcorn to that movie no. at all. You just kind of sit there in horror the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, not only did you see so much blood and so much gore, you also saw it on a drive-in movie theater size screen, which mm-hmm. doesn't help. No. Yeah, that is for sure. I've never been in, I've never watched a movie where I've sat so motionless. Yeah. I just, like, stared. Yep. You know? Yep, I went with Dad took me as a part of confirmation. Yep. Yeah, I'll never forget that. Yeah. I also cut out um, the second half of that quotation that I shared on Sunday about the 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 humiliation being the the goal. Mm. I'm actually cut for time. Uh, was the second half of that quotation 
people that talked about the dramatic irony at play. This entire thing is so ironic because this whole time they are mocking him by calling him, you know, the king of the Jews, and they're kneeling down and hailing him and, you know, doing all the things that they are eventually going to end up doing because Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this irony that they are kneeling down and recognizing who he is when scripture says in the book of Philippians that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what this means is that these Roman soldiers that were so flippant and so arrogant are going to actually do this again, but better mm-hmm. or, or, or more correctly. Um, it's not going to be sarcasm the next time that they do this. It was sarcasm now, but Jesus changes everything. Mm-hmm. The dramatic irony at play in this part of the story. I mean, and even just the, the dramatic irony of, you know, the world and Satan thought that they stopped Jesus by killing him, but that really just accomplished what Jesus was sent to accomplish. You know, the, the irony of the, the, the one thing that they think they thought they had to do was the thing that needed to be done. Well, and he talked about it. Yeah. The whole time. I mean, yeah. his whole ministry, he talked about it. Yes. And, in detail. In I mean, detail. He was right the whole time. And he repeated yes. what the prophet said, yep. which was what's going to happen, which is what did happen. And here we are today talking about the same thing. <laughs> right. Like, and we still don't get it. Oh, yeah. No. You know? Nope. Even people of faith, there are times where we just don't get it. People in the world definitely don't get it. But mm-hmm. there are even still times where we absolutely just completely missed the point of Jesus. It's just mm-hmm. it's so unbelievable right? how all of this happens. Yes. And to go from in three years, like I, I was thinking about this the other day too, like in three years this man went from no one really knowing who he was mm-hmm. to the most impactful person of all time. If, if all you think of him is a person. Right. Yeah. And not who he really is. Yep. Like there's no one who's had a greater impact on the world. Absolutely. Than yes. him. Yes. Yep. Throw on top of the fact that he really is who he says he is because there's multiple reasons to, to believe that to be true. To, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. That wasn't the thing when I took world religions in college. Like the one thing that every religion has to square away with is Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you say about Jesus? And a lot of the major religions say that he was a prophet or that he was important, but not, you know, who he was, who he said he was. That's, that's just ours as Christians. Like we believe in that Jesus was the Messiah. Other people believe he was a prophet and they're still waiting. Okay, but doesn't that automatically, I mean, if, if they're all having to wrestle with that, if all these other religions have to wrestle with mm-hmm. who Jesus is, doesn't that, doesn't that make it true? I mean, ish. I mean, because we still have to wrestle with who Muhammad is. Like, you know, in Islam, Muhammad is a prophet and Allah is God, you know, but yet we still have to square away and, and you know, understand who Allah is and understand mm-hmm. who, you know, who Muhammad was, you know, they're... There's things that you have to deal with in every major religion, but ours is Jesus. Mm -hmm. So So what I struggle with is the short time frame Mm -hmm. that all the people turned on Jesus. Right. Like, what do we do with it? Like, 
first of all, was it really the four days? Right. And then why? Mm-hmm. Like, why did they turn so quickly? Yeah, definitely. Um, so all four of the Gospels do fit it into this time frame of the festival of Passover. And like, like all Jewish festivals, there were prescribed things that happened on certain days in the Passover celebration. And so the fact that we know that Jesus came in on this day and like the, the, the suggestion is, is that Pilate wrote in either at the same time or nearly at the same time as Jesus, um, Jesus riding in from the east on a donkey, Pilate riding in from the west on a, on a horse. A donkey is an animal of peace, a horse is an animal of war. And they're riding towards each other. And I really feel like, the, I mean, Jerusalem would have swollen well beyond its capacity, as we, you know, we've talked about before. But a lot of the crowd chose Jesus that day. A lot of the crowd came and shouted to him, Hosanna, God save us, save us now. And they had their opinions about what God saving them was going to look like. And they saw what was happening, that Pilate was writing in from this way and Jesus writing in from this way. And they thought, now is the time. Now is the time that Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem and kick butt and take names and take back the throne of David and establish the people of God as an independent nation once again. But what happens next is that Jesus goes into the temple. And Jesus overturns the tables in the temple and says, you have turned the house of God into a den of robbers. How dare you? This is not what this is for. This is to be a house of prayer. And like the entire temple system, like they had, like you could not spend Roman money in the temple courts. You had to have it exchanged. And the exchange rate always valued the temple, not the people. It was unfair, it was unjust, and Jesus kicks the injustice out of the temple. Jesus messes with the way that things were done. And I think this crowd maybe started to see, oh, okay, this is who you are. The next day, after everything had calmed back down, Jesus was back in the temple teaching. And I think people were like, oh, you're not joking. You're not going to be the Messiah the way that we want you to be the Messiah. And if you're not going to be, if you're not going to do what we want you to do, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. And so Jesus retreats from the temple. Jesus has this experience of being anointed, and then Jesus meets with the disciples in the upper room, and everything is off to the races from there. You know, like I said, when we do communion, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and from the Garden of Gethsemane to the Court of Pilate, and from the Court of Pilate to the cross. It was that fast. Mm-hmm. The crowd on Sunday chose Jesus over Pilate, but the crowd later chose Barabbas over Jesus because they realized that Jesus was not the one that was going to really do what they thought the Messiah was going to do. Right. One question I've always struggled with is what do we do with Pilate? Mm-hmm. Like in this situation, he is, the way I read it, mm-hmm. is he is essentially forced into giving Jesus over, even though he doesn't think it's the right thing. Yes. Am I reading that correctly? Is he really kind of a, he seems to me almost as like an, almost an innocent bystander in this place that we always almost make him into this evil person. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So (laughs) 
<laughs> I actually had a very funny experience with that. Um, a couple of years ago, um, I like to study the Bible through a process called manuscripting. You know, you read the scriptures four or five different times, noticing a different thing with a different color, and every color has a purpose. So I just finished manuscripting through the Gospel of John, and I texted a friend of mine from college and said, I just, I had a revelation about Pilate. Like, I think the Pilate gave Jesus every opportunity for this not to happen. But Jesus made it happen. You know, Pilate gave Jesus every opportunity to defend himself. And in some Gospels, Jesus says nothing. In other Gospels, Jesus turns the question back around on Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? No, you said that. But then my friend texted me back and said, yeah, Pilate's a yutz. <laughs> so I still find Pilate to be such a fascinating character that I think wanted to do the right thing, but didn't. Like, because he could have just said no. Mm -hmm. uh, he could have just said no, but he understood that the, the, that the sentiment against Jesus had risen to such a critical mass that it had shifted. Mm -hmm. If he were to not do as he was being basically instructed, there would have been a riot and it mm -hmm. would have been dangerous for him. And so he just said, I'm out. This is too rich, this is too rich for my blood. I wash my hands of this. And sure. the people didn't care. They said, fine, if their blood's not going to be on your hand, let the blood be on ours. Mm -hmm. Yikes. Yeah. It's just there were so many opportunities for the end result to be different. Yes. It does almost seem like Jesus just made it happen. Yes. Not my will, but your will be done. Mm -hmm. And he knew that that was God's will. Yeah, then when we think about our suffering and what Jesus went through. Mm-hmm. Not to minimize what we go through, but Correct. it doesn't, they don't equate. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it gives us a roadmap for what to follow. And it gives us a roadmap to say that we have Jesus on our side. And like I said on Sunday, the author of the Hebrews says that we have a great high priest who is tested like us in every way, but without sin. Mm -hmm. There is nothing we can go through that Jesus can't empathize with. And that just makes to me, that makes all the difference. So Thursday. Yes. Uh, here in the church, what do we got going on? Yeah, so um, on Monday, Thursday, we have our Living Last Supper downstairs in Wesley Hall. Jesus is with mm -hmm. us. Um, Eric has played Jesus for a while now. A while. So, yeah, we have Jesus with us for the Living Last Supper. Um, and that is a, it's a snack version of a Seder meal. Um, like, we don't do a full meal. We just kind of do a smattering of what they would have eaten at the Passover festival. And then we have, you know, everyone plays a character, and we walk through the story of, of, of Jesus being in the upper room, and then from the upper room to the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. And so that's Thursday night at 7 o'clock here at the church. All are welcome to be a part of that. Um, it's a very ecumenical um, service this year because Celebrate and Bethany um, are both involved with that with us, which is mm -hmm. awesome. Room because uh, Sheldon Hofeld from Celebrate's a part of it. Uh, Kevin Snyder from Bethany's a part of it. Steve Zebarth, my predecessor here at the church, is a part of it. And, you know, I'll be there with music and worship team. So, mm -hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. And then Friday. Yep. So Good Friday, we have a service here in the sanctuary at 7 o'clock. Um, and that's going to be kind of a darker service because it is, you know, Good Friday, the day of Jesus' death. Um, and so what we're going to be hearing on Good Friday are different voices 
from around the cross, different people that were with Jesus in those final moments that witnessed the final agony of Jesus. And so we're going to hear from Mary, the mother of Jesus. We're going to hear from Mary Magdalene. We're going to hear from the Roman centurion. We're going to hear from the thief on the cross. Uh, uh, So we're going to hear their voices and hear from their part of the story of what Jesus' impact on their lives was and what the death of Jesus means. So we're going to close the tomb on Good Friday. We're going to, you know, it's going to be very dark in here. Um, Yeah, it's going to be a very, I feel like it's going to be a a very moving service. We'll also be having communion during that service as well. Sure. Okay. And then what do you got going on for Sunday? Yeah, so Sunday is awesome and busy and wonderful. Uh, We are starting at 7.30 in the morning with a sunrise service uh, that is being put on by our youth, um, both middle school and then we brought in a high school ringer named Carly Lawback that's going to give the sermon that day. Um, but the kids have been working awful hard for the past month or so on this. They're leading prayers. They're leading calls to worship. They're leading songs. They're doing everything a part of the service. Um, awesome. So it's going to be very cool. And then we're having a church-wide breakfast after that. And then at 10 o'clock is our normal worship service um, for Easter Sunday. Um, so it will be you know, very big and vibrant with our songs. It's kind of an all-hands-on-deck musician Sunday um, because we're going to hear a prelude from Edna. Uh, We're going to hear from our choir. We're going to hear from our praise band. We're going to hear from, we're going to sing Christ the Lord is Risen today because we're United Methodists and we can't not sing Charles Wesley's hymn on Mm -hmm. Easter Sunday. Uh, But yeah, it's just going to be a very big and celebratory day um, on Sunday. I'm very excited for it. Um, And the message on Sunday is the end of our Essential Questions series. And the question that we're going to be wrestling with is, is there hope? We've just been through the darkness of Holy Week. We've just walked this path with Jesus that ends up with Jesus being dead. Is there hope? As the women come to the tomb, do they have any hope left? And what happens next? Mm -hmm. What happens next is that Jesus solidifies our hope in a resurrection, in his resurrection, the defeat of death and the beginning of life and life abundant in his name. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us this week on the Cut for Time podcast. Uh, As you have heard all of the events that are coming up for the rest of the week, please join us um, in person or online for those events. And then again for the podcast next week. Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.